Unprepared to engage Mormon missionaries when they knock on your door? Perhaps the book Mormonism 101 will help. Mormonism 101, published by Baker Book. Available at your favorite Christian bookstore. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, we hope you enjoy this repeat broadcast. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Last week, we began looking at a devotional message given by Tad Callister of the Presidency of the Seventy. It was a devotional for young adults, and he gave it on January 12, 2014 at Brigham Young University. The title is, What is the Blueprint of Christ Church? And if you listened to last week's broadcast, you know that he is trying to make a very strong case to prove that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the only true church on earth. Section 1, verse 30, from the Doctrine and Covenants. That was his opening salvo. Today we're going to be looking again at a statement that he makes about the blueprint of the New Testament reveals other officers that constituted part of the organization of Christ's church. Before we do that, let me just remind you that last week we talked about what is the New Testament definition of the church. And as we demonstrated from citing New Testament verses, it is not an organization. It would not be what Tad Callister thinks it is. So his whole premise is incorrect, which of course means that anything built off of that premise is also going to be suspect. Let me read again what we read on Friday, just so we can talk a little bit more about this idea that the true church has to have the same organization as Christ's church. He had said, the blueprint of the New Testament reveals other officers that constituted part of the organization of Christ's church. Bishops, elders, deacons, evangelists, meaning patriarchs, and pastors, meaning such men as bishops and stake presidents who preside over a flock. The sixth article of faith of the church makes reference to this blueprint, quote, we believe in the same organization that existed in the primitive church, namely apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and so forth. In other words, we believe the current church of Jesus Christ should have the same organization as existed in Christ's original church, subject only to revelatory changes. Therefore, each of these offices is present in our church today. Can I just bring up something in that long list that he gives there? When was the last time you ever heard a Latter-day Saint refer to their pastor? I mean, you and I, we refer to our pastor all the time. That's the person that is over the individual flock, the local flock. Now, remember when Mitt Romney was running for president? He made a statement that he served as a pastor in his church for 10 years. Even Mormons, I think, were puzzled by that because that is not a word that they normally use. But yet, Callister's going to try and give the impression that it's the same organization. They don't have technically pastors in the Mormon church. They have bishops, definitely, and that word is found in the New Testament. But who are really the pastors? Well, yeah, and so he does use bishops and stake presidents. And yes, you're right, bishops has been used elsewhere. So this also refers to bishops, the pastor, and also the stake president. How exactly does he serve as a pastor? And 
why do they not use pastor for that stake president rather than making up a name stake president? Because we certainly don't see that office in the New Testament. And when he says that evangelists, meaning patriarchs, that's an interesting connection. Evangelists and patriarchs. The only time we hear of patriarchs at all in the New Testament is a reference to Old Testament individuals such as Abraham. Right. Now, we know in the Mormon church they have patriarchs that lay their hands on individuals within the church and give these vague prophetic utterances over them. If they're faithful to the church, these things will happen. But how do you tie that with an evangelist? I don't see that. I, I look at Philip being an evangelist. He's going out there and he's preaching the word and he's known for preaching the word. How does a patriarch tie into that? See, I don't see that connection in the New Testament. I mean, almost you would have to say it ought to be the elders because they're the ones, and the sisters as well, who go out and knock on doors. But when's the last time, Bill, you had a patriarch get off his bicycle and knock on your door or out on the streets of Manti had somebody come up and say, well, I'd like to share with you my faith because I'm a patriarch. I think you should be asking that question of Latter-day Saints. Perhaps not me, but I would like to know how many Latter-day Saints have had a patriarch get off their bicycle and knock on their door. To make this connection, I think, is a stretch. In his talk, Callister goes on and says this, How were Christ's apostles and other officers chosen? Did the Savior go to the finest theological schools of the time and select the highest-ranking students? He did not. Instead, the blueprint tells us that he chose Peter, a fisherman, and Matthew, a tax collector, and later Paul, a tent maker. Each was chosen from the rank and file. In essence, it was a lay ministry. Today, the church has a quorum of 12 apostles who are likewise chosen from the rank and file of the church. One may be a teacher, another an engineer, another an attorney, and so on. Now, Bill, do you see something here when he mentions these professions, teachers, engineers, attorneys, you could go on to doctors and others that the apostles are, those are all white-collar workers. And yet, if you're going to say that there are lay people being named as apostles in the New Testament, Peter and Matthew and Paul and others, Well, those are all blue-collar workers. When's the last time you heard of a plumber being considered for the role of apostle in the LDS church? You make a good point, but I think it's a little bit unfair or a little bit misleading when he says, and later Paul, a tent maker. Well, no doubt Paul does claim that he was a tent maker and he did do that. But I think what Callister does by mentioning his tent making abilities is he forgets that he studied under Gamaliel, which was a very well known rabbi during that time. So Paul really did have a formal education. And that's a really good point. Uh, in Acts 22 3, he was taught by Gamaliel. This is what he says I am a man which is a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God. So here Paul is saying he went through intense instruction and was maybe not a rabbi, but at the same time probably had enough instruction. So he could have, if he wanted to pursue it, become a rabbi. Now, it's not that the Mormon church has a disregard for education or scholarship, but I think this is almost a little hypocritical because he's trying to give the impression that, hey, the church is made up of these theologically uneducated rubes, but yet they utilize the scholars. I mean, think about the gospel topics essays. Not one of those gospel topics essays is signed. 
But we know that none of them were written by any authority in the Mormon church. Where did they come from? They came from the educated ones within the Mormon church, probably professors at Brigham Young University. They needed the scholarship to explain their positions. If it's okay for the Mormons to turn to educated scholars to explain their theological and historical positions, why would Callister try to make it sound like it's wrong to some extent for Christian ministers to have education? I mean, when you look at Peter, he was just a fisherman, and yet he wrote his own words on paper, on papyrus, so that others could read what he had to say, and he did so with authority. He didn't have to go and say, well, let me go to the people who studied under rabbis or anything else. He, he gave scripture, and that's what the Bible has included, Peter and John and others who were not necessarily scholars at all. Well, let me throw something else out to you. Wouldn't you say that even a person like Peter, though he was a fisherman, probably had at least some kind of theological training as a boy growing up because he's living in a Jewish society and I'm sure he goes to the synagogue and he's learning what the Old Testament had to say. So it's not like Peter had absolutely no understanding of what the Old Testament was about. I would think that probably all of them had somewhat of an maybe perhaps informal education, but still had an education as to what they should believe as a religious Jewish community. Why do the Mormons want to mock? And they even did it in their temple ceremony. Remember for years there was a portion in there when this this minister was actually mocked and being under the employ of Satan. And the question was asked of Lucifer, have you been trained for the ministry? A man cannot preach unless he's been trained for the ministry. Now that portion of the temple ceremony is not there any longer. Which you have to ask, well, why not? Because I thought the temple was supposed to have some kind of eternal purpose to it, and it hasn't been changed over the years, which we know it has. But still, education was mocked in the temple ceremony. The apologetic dirty work, why is that given to the people over at fairlds.org or to the scholars over at BYU? If the apostle is such an important position, why shouldn't they be writing the Gospel Topics essays? Why shouldn't they be putting up a website that doesn't have a disclaimer, that actually says, this is what we as the brethren, the 15 of us got together to say, this is what it really is. Instead, we have to guess, is what FAIR LDS saying accurate or not? When you bring up some of the arguments from FAIR or the Neil Maxwell Institute, they'll roll their eyes. But why would they not roll their eyes even at their own apostles and prophets? They have disclaimers. You use the word disclaimer. Let me read you. I just grabbed this book off my shelf. This is Christ in the New Testament by Jeffrey R. Holland, who currently serves as an apostle in the church. Here's what it says in his book in the preface. It says, lastly, this book is not a product of the Council of the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and is not a doctrinal declaration by or for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I alone am responsible for the publication of this work, and I alone am accountable for any errors and limitations it may contain. Wait a minute. I don't see a disclaimer like that at the end of the book of Galatians or at the end of the book of Ephesians. We don't see Paul doing that. Remember, Callister's trying to make a case that we're doing it the same way it was done earlier. Well, this is not the way it was done earlier. 
What do you do with even Thomas Monson, who's the prophet of the church? Even one of his books has a disclaimer. And the name of the book is A Prophet's Voice. If anything sounds authoritative, it certainly sounds like that would be. And the subtitle is Messages from Thomas S. Monson. This is from 2012. Here's what it says on the opening page. All rights reserved. No part of this book may be reproduced in any form without permission writing to the publisher. This work is not an official publication of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The views expressed herein are the responsibility of the author and do not necessarily represent the position of the church or of Deseret Book. Deseret Book is a registered trademark of Deseret Book Company. So how would they get out of that? They say, well, Monson really didn't put pen to paper in this book. And so that's how we're going to absolve him of any responsibility. They are his words, are they not? Why would you have to say that for a prophet of the Mormon church who speaks for the Mormon church? And again, the title, it's just ironic, a prophet's voice, and yet a disclaimer saying, oh, by the way, even though it's a prophet's voice, don't necessarily accept everything in here, better check it out. And that's why we have a lot of Latter-day Saints that we meet on a personal level who tend to discount some of the things that their leaders are not only saying now, but many of the things that their own leaders have said in the past. And remember, the Mormon Church of today does not believe everything and does not teach everything that they taught in the earlier years of the Mormon Church. And some of those things that they have changed are things that you would think should not change, even when it comes to who God is. Why was that changed over the years? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.